Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless. Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. I'm ready to begin this morning. Father, thank you for your love and mercy and grace in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to come together as a body of believers to study the truth of your word. I pray you speak very clearly to us this morning. I pray you do great things in our midst, Father. And as we think about all that you're doing in our community, I just pray for all the other churches, Lord. All the other churches of Troop County and and West Georgia and East Alabama and all the, the churches in our region and for the pastors, Father. And as we continue to pray for other churches, I pray this morning specifically for Doug Bingham and Unity Baptist, Father. I pray you'd speak through Doug right now as he's probably beginning to preach like I am in the middle of preaching, Father. I pray you just speak through him. Give him just a real clear heart and a real clear mind, Lord, of exactly what you'd have him to say. And I pray that you do great work through unity, Father. I pray you do great work in that part of the city. They would just be a beacon of light and hope to all those that are desperate to hear. And Father, I pray you would work in our hearts as well, work in our church, do great things at Rosemont as you've always done. We're going to Give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything you do, Father. And I pray this morning through the power of the Spirit, we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis 42. Genesis 42. We are continuing our study this morning through the book of Genesis. And for us, over the last several weeks, the study in Genesis has kind of turned to more specific study on Joseph and his life and all that God has done for him and through him. Excuse me. And so I just want to catch you up to speed. If you haven't been here with us over the last few weeks, Joseph's life has kind of been in a tailspin from an earthly perspective. This is a man who was loved by his father but hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, went down to Egypt, into Potiphar's house, falsely accused of a crime, thrown into prison, languished in prison for several years. There came a time where he interpreted some dreams for the baker and the cupbearer. He hoped that those dreams would eventually get back to Pharaoh and he would be freed. But the Bible tells us that didn't happen. He stayed in prison for two more years. And so we kind of got to this point in in Joseph's life where we kind of feel like we've hit rock bottom. Everything that could have possibly gone wrong did. And yet in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of his struggles, the thing that we've seen time and time again with Joseph is that the Lord was with him, the Lord used him, and as we kind of understand this story and we understand what the Lord's accomplishing, we begin to see that the Lord is using him and kind of fixing the path and the journey so that he can accomplish great things for the Lord. But in the middle of it, it's hard to see. It's hard for Joseph to understand what the Lord's doing. And so last week, we saw kind of what we called a turning point. We saw that Joseph kind of hit rock bottom. It kind of got to the worst possible moment he could get to. And then, kind of out of the blue, the man that he had interpreted the dream for remembered him. And he said to Pharaoh, listen, Pharaoh, I know you've had these dreams. I know you don't know what these dreams mean, but this man, Joseph, who's in prison, interpreted my dreams. Maybe he could interpret yours. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph to his court, and in that moment, everything changed. 
Because Joseph is going to interpret the dreams, you may remember. And he's going to say there's going to be seven good years and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, you need to find somebody that can be in charge of all Egypt to take care of this process to make sure that we store up enough during the good years so there'll be food for the bad years. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're that guy. And so he said we've kind of got maybe the most incredible example of worst to first, kind of a sports term there, in the history of the world. But the thing we notice in the, in the middle of all of this, it's just fascinating to me, we're going to see it again this morning. In the middle of this whole process, we see very clearly that God has always been in control. God is in control of Joseph's life. God is in control of Pharaoh's life. God's in control of Potiphar's life. God's in control of Jacob's life. God's in control of Joseph's brother's lives. And we we see kind of this this pattern developing that we've already seen up to this point. That God is orchestrating these events to accomplish his purposes. Now this should bring great comfort to us for very simple reasons. What we understand from this text from Genesis 42 and the the chapters we've seen before that we're going to see after is that nothing can stop the plan of the Lord. Nothing. And so if we fast forward several thousand years to our lives now, that means God has got a plan for us. He does. He has a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. And nothing is going to stop God from accomplishing his purposes. Now this morning is interesting for us because we're going to kind of shift our focus. The past several weeks and the past several chapters, we've had this kind of clear focus on Joseph and what the Lord's doing in Joseph's life and the difficulties that Joseph has faced. But in this chapter this morning, Genesis chapter 42, we're going to shift our focus away from Joseph and we're going to shift it toward his brother's. In fact, it's interesting, if you were to read through chapter 42, we haven't talked about Joseph's brothers in a number of chapters. Now, for Joseph, it's been a number of years, and so Joseph has kind of been separated from his brothers. We hadn't thought about his brothers, hadn't talked about his brothers, haven't read about his brothers. And then we open up to Genesis 42, and if you were to read through it and pay attention, you'd see that the word brother or brothers is mentioned 17 times in one chapter. So all of a sudden we go from this focus on Joseph and what the Lord's doing in Joseph's life to the focus on his brothers and we ask the question, why? Why are we moving now from what's going on in Joseph's life to try to figure out what's going on in his brother's life? There's there's kind of a a, a big picture answer we're going to work through and see over the next few minutes. But here's kind of the big picture answer of what's going on in his lives with his brothers. These men had kind of stepped away from the Lord. We'll see that in just a minute. They'd stepped away from the Lord. They stepped away from walking the path of righteousness and faithfulness. And God, in a moment, needed to wake them up. Has God ever woken you up? (laughs) You ever had one of those moments where God just kind of gets your attention? See, here's the the truth about Scripture. You You need to pay attention. This is awfully important. It can save you an awful lot of heartache. God gives us His Word and his truth and instructions for our life here. You're aware of that, right? In his word. Very clear. Let me, just, let me just speak to your doubt just for a second. Those that think they don't understand it, just spend time studying it. Just spend time reading it. Spend time studying and praying through it. God will give you the vision and the wisdom you need to understand this book. But God, now watch this, in a very still, small, quiet voice speaks through his word to us. Very clearly, if we'll listen. 
But far too many of us set this aside. We say, I'm not interested in that, Lord. I can figure it out myself. So when we do that, you know what the Lord has to do? He's got to get our attention. He says, I've given you my word. If we just listen, just pay attention, live your life based on the truth of my word, things will go well with you. But if you don't, I'm going to do things to get your attention, to bring you out of this spiritual slumber that you're in, back to my path of righteousness. That's what he's doing in the lives of these brothers. God is going to get their attention so he can accomplish great things through them. Now let's take a look and see what we can learn from what he does in the lives of these brothers. Genesis chapter 42 Beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen as well for you to follow along. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt. Now, we're, again, we haven't talked about Jacob in a while. He said to his sons, and I love the way he says this. Why do you just keep looking at each other, right? <laughs> like a bunch of goofballs. Why don't you do something about this? We're in a bad spot right here. Remember now, let's, let's rewind and remember. We're in the midst of a famine here, okay? We've learned that at the end of chapter 41. It's affected Egypt, it's affected Canaan, it's affected the entire region. Jacob learns that there's food in Egypt and he looks at his sons and says, why do you guys keep looking at each other? Verse 2, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us so we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Now just pause for a second there in verse 4. I don't have time to really get into this. But there's this sense in verse 4 that, that Jacob still isn't fully trusting the Lord. He remembers what happened to Joseph. He thinks Joseph is dead. He's afraid now to send his other son with the brothers for fear something may happen to him. Verse 5. So Israel's sons were among those, and there are other people that did this because they're starving and they need food, were among those who went to buy grain for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now let's stop there for just a second. Let's think through this. God's going to get the attention of these brothers. He's going to wake them up. And he's going to use some very specific things in their lives to get their attention. Here's the first thing we need to see. Number one. Sometimes God works through the trials of life. Did you know that? Sometimes God uses the difficulties of life to gain our attention. Now, some of us have studied that and understand it. Others of us have lived it. But the truth of the matter is very clear. God's not going to allow a precious Christian to continue to wander away from his truth and his path. There'll come a time where he'll allow something in your life to wake you from that slumber when he gains your attention. Now I want you to understand what's going on in this context because I don't want us to kind of glaze over this. Because when we read about this famine and these guys and the struggle they were facing, it's hard for us to understand exactly what's taking place because we don't deal with famines, do we? All we know of famines is maybe what we read or see on television or see online. We've heard about them. We know they affect other people. But in America, at least in the last several decades, we've never had a moment where there was a shortage of food and people died because of it. But I want you to notice verse 2. Bring verse 2 back up for me, would, if you please. Verse 2 says, this is dad talking to sons. I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so we may live and not die. This is life and death for these men. You understand that? God says, I'm going to get your attention 
through this famine because I've got a plan that you need to accomplish and you're never going to accomplish it if I don't make things work out the way they need to work out. Now think about this with me just for a second. From a human perspective, there's no possible way that Joseph and his brothers can ever be reunited. I mean, he's gone. It's been years and years since they've seen him. He's been sent down to Egypt. Last I know, he was in slavery. They don't know if he's still alive. He doesn't know if they're still alive. They've had no contact for years and years and years. Scholars think 20 plus years now. There's no possible way that they can come back together unless the Lord orchestrates it. So I just want you to see this big picture. This is really important for us to understand. All this that's happened in Genesis 42... The famine and the death and all the things that we're going to read about and the difficulties are happening because the Lord orchestrates them. Now you say, why would God have to get the attention of these brothers in such a difficult way? Well, let's just remember these brothers just for a second. Let's think back through all these brothers had done and all these brothers had been through. If you kind of made a list of the failures of this family, it'd be a long list. Sexual sin, incest, murder, on and on and on and on the list because they sold their brother into slavery. All the things we know about these brothers. These guys had stepped away from the Lord for years and years and years. And the last thing we heard of them, the last thing we knew about them, they had sold their brother into slavery thinking probably he was dead. I want you to listen to how one scholar sums these brothers up. For 22 years, and you add the time Joseph was in slavery and Potiphar and then the famines and the good time. For 22 years, these brothers had tried to silence their nagging conscience. But when God applied the pressure of famine, coupled with the word Egypt, the sleeping giants stirred. For those ten brothers, time did not erase their guilty conscience see God says guys you've kind of stepped aside and you've kind of been sinful and you've kind of not done what I've asked you to do for a number of years and so I'm going to need to do something pretty radical to get your attention and so what does he do he sends a famine now humanly we think because this is what I think how in the world could a famine be part of God's plan that's a horrific thing Why would God use this famine to get these guys' attention? Well, the problem is we see this famine from an earthly standpoint. We see it for what we think it is and the difficulty it must have been for these people and the the death that must have come from it. We don't have and we can't fully have an eternal perspective, can we? I'm reminded of the earthquakes in Nepal. You guys remember a year or two ago there were major earthquakes in Nepal. You probably heard about it on TV. Now, for us, that's a world away, right? It literally is on the other side of the world. And so we read about it for a few days. We heard about it for a few days. And for us, that was the end of it. It's, it's over, right? We go to work like we always do. We go home like we always do. We go to ball practice like we always do. Nothing changed for us. But for the people that lived in Nepal, life changed forever for them. Because in the, in the location they're in, because of their remoteness, and a lot of these villages are up in the mountains, literally no aid will ever get to that village. So there are people in Nepal whose village was destroyed by the earthquake that will never see it rebuilt the way it was, ever. Nobody's coming to help them. They can't get to them. There's no food. There's no supplies. Nothing. It's just, it is what it is. Some of them will die. Some of them have died. 
Now we begin to ask, ask ourselves the question, where's the good in that? Where's the good in, in a natural disaster, a famine or an earthquake or all the different sorts of disasters? We see? Here's an eternal perspective. You need to understand this. See, when that earthquake hit Nepal, because there was such great need, they, they opened their borders and allowed aid workers to just kind of flow in. You may have heard that. And what we now understand is that a lot of those aid workers that went in were Christian relief workers. And they went, when they went into that decimated country, they were, sometimes in certain areas for the first time ever, able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the earthquake in places they never would have had access to before. You understand that? So from, from our finite earthly perspective, we can't understand why the Lord would do such a terrible thing. From a kingdom perspective, the Lord uses natural disasters to gain our attention, to speak Christ, to allow people to go in and share the gospel that they've never heard before. You say, well, how dare God kill these people and cause such destruction simply for his name to be known. I think the better question is, how dare we question God? Because if you don't understand this now, there will come a moment in eternity where you understand very clearly you are not God. And we think we've got it all figured out. We figured out from an earthly perspective. God says, I've got a bigger plan. See, God has eternity in mind. We have the temporary in mind. You say, that's, that's tough. Has is this, is, is this happened before in Scripture? Are there other examples? I mean, one of the things we ought to do in Scripture is examine other parts of Scripture to see if this same sort of truth comes out, right? Is this a one-time deal in Genesis 42? Or do we see God do this in other instances? Well, let me just remind you of a couple of the plagues in Egypt. Remember the story of Exodus? God frees his people from slavery. He frees them from Egypt. How? Ten plagues. And if you read through that account with kind of spiritual eyes and you're looking for some things, you begin to see this phrase over and over. God says, I'm going to do this so the Egyptians will know that I'm God. I'm going to send these calamities so they'll see my power demonstrated in their lives. See, God uses very difficult circumstances to display his glory. Maybe you know the story of Job. Job lost everything. Everything. And we study his account and we study the book of Job and we understand that in the end, as difficult as things were, and even as his friends cautioned him not to do this, in the very end, Job experienced the glory of the Lord, even in the midst of terrible suffering. There's this picture here that God uses difficult circumstances to gain our attention and to display his glory. What about Christ himself? Think about what Jesus endured. Think about the suffering. Think about the physical beating. Think about all that he endured only to be led to the cross to be crucified for our sins. Think about all that Jesus did, all of the brutality that he faced. As horrific as that scene was, guess what God did? He used that moment to offer through the death of Christ salvation to us. You see that? There's this theme through Scripture that sometimes God uses the trials of life. Sometimes God uses the difficulties in life to gain our attention so his name can be glorified. That's exactly what it is in Genesis 42. He uses the famine 
to rouse these brothers to begin to do something so God's purposes can be complete. Now look at verse 6. Let's continue. Now Joseph was the governor of the land. We're reminded of who he was. The person who sold grain to all its people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now just pause for a second and remember the original dream Joseph had. Remember his dream? That his family was going to bow down to him. They laughed at him. They made fun of him. They sold him to slavery because of it. Guess what? His dream now is being fulfilled. Verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Remember, it's been years later. He was just a teenager when they sold him into slavery. He's a grown man now. He's in charge of Egypt. He's dressed in Egyptian clothing. He's got all the people around him. They had no idea who they were speaking to here, verse 9. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Verse 12. No, he said to them, You've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. It's just it's fascinating to me, by the way, in, in verse 11. They, they claim to be honest men. Isn't that interesting? No, Joseph, we're honest men. <laughs> verse 14. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies. And by the way, Joseph knows they're lying the whole time. Verse 15, this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Right? He's going to call their bluff. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept here in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Let's stop for a minute. Let's think through truth number two. Number one, God uses difficult trials to gain our attention, to work through our lives, to get us where he needs us to be. That's truth number one. Here's number two. Sometimes God works through other people. Sometimes... God gets your attention through other people. Now, I want you to think about something just for a second, then I want you to set it aside. We're going to come back to it. I want you to think just for a moment, knowing what you know about Joseph, understanding what he had been through, understanding what his brothers did to him, understanding the last time he saw their face on this earth before Genesis 42, understanding now he's had 20 plus years to think about all they've done to him. Couple that with this truth that now Joseph is the second most powerful man in the world. He could do anything he wanted to do simply by saying the words. I want you to think with me just for a second. All the things he could have done to his brothers because of what they'd done to him. Just think about maybe how your emotions would have felt. Anger, resentment revenge, bitterness. But here's what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to see this play out. God is going to use Joseph to speak truth to these brothers. And through this truth, we'll see here in just a few minutes, God is going to offer his grace. You see, sometimes we're put in positions where we have difficulties that surround us. 
And there are other people in our lives that can speak truth to us and help us see exactly what the Lord's doing. That's what Joseph does for his brothers. I'll never forget when I was young. I was probably six or eight. And we were attending Flat Creek Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Georgia. My dad, some of you may know this, my dad is a bivocational minister of music. He's been doing that for really my whole life. And it's interesting to me now that I'm a pastor to understand bivocational pastoring and bivocational ministry. It's it just, it's, it's, there's a whole, nother, a whole nother level of respect in my heart for the people that do those kinds of things. My dad's done it my whole life. And so growing up for me, it was church stuff. And Wednesday night for us, because he was the minister of music, that was always choir practice. And I'll, ne- I'll never forget, I was just a young boy and we'd kind of done the choir practice thing. And, and, and it still is like this. If you're on staff at a church, you're one of the last people to leave, you know. And so we were the last people to leave. There were a few people still mulling around and a couple people in the choir loft. And I don't know exactly how it came about like this. But as a six or eight year old boy, I some way or another ended up kind of up here on the, you know, on the podium area. And my dad was up here and there was another man that I don't even remember who he was. I don't remember the name of the man. I just remember the story and what happened after. We had sat down for, you know, we used to have the chairs up on the podium. That's how it used to work. And he had sat down and at some point the man stood up and started talking. And I don't know where in my little eight year old heart this came from or where in my brain I thought this was going to be a good idea. But when that man stood up, I said to him, you need to sit down and shut up. Woo, that was a good night for me. My dad didn't take it quite as well as you did, by the way, just then. Now, I don't know what physical beating I endured between that moment and the car, but I'll never forget, my dad put me in the car that night, and I'll never forget, we drove to that man's house. And I will never forget getting out of that car with my mom and my dad and my little sister, who's four years younger than me. She was young. Walking in that, up that man's, you know, up the stairs to his house, into his living room, standing in his kitchen. I can see that moment like it was yesterday. That man and his wife standing right there. And my daddy made me apologize to that man for what I said to him. With tears, tears, and bawling. Just about, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid now just thinking about it. There's a little fear in my heart right now just thinking about it. I will never forget that moment. I mean, crystal clear in my mind. It's, it's interesting somehow. Think about this now with me, with grace in mind now, and what the Lord does in our hearts. Isn't it interesting how sometimes the Lord uses people to expose our sin so he can demonstrate grace? Right? Think about it like this. If, if that hadn't happened, whatever that rebellion in my heart was, whatever caused me to say that, whatever little sin I had in an eight-year-old heart, what if that sin had not been exposed at that moment? What if that sin had festered and grown and now I'm 16, 18, 20? What kind of man would I be now? I don't know. But God in his grace, and, and sometimes it's hard for us to see that in the moment, but God in his grace allowed that sin to be exposed so it could be dealt with at that moment and put aside. You see that? But God used this other man to do it in my life. And so we ought to ask ourselves a, a, a very simple question. Who has the Lord put in my life, maybe to help expose my sin, so I can kill that sin and get rid of it and grow in my faith in Christ through this process? See, sometimes we, we look at these bad situations and these people in our lives that are difficult to deal with, and we think these are just a curse on us. They may, in fact, be a blessing. <laughs> you see, this is who Joseph is for his brothers. 
He's going to remind them of some things that the Lord's going to use. You say, okay, this is an interesting story, and I get the fact that God uses other people in our lives. But how does Joseph actually speak truth into the lives of his brothers in Genesis 42? Because he doesn't know, who, he, he, he knows who they are, but they don't have any idea who he is. How can he speak truth to them? Well, I just want to remind you of something very interesting. This is fascinating to me. There's some very interesting parallels here. Now, don't, don't doubt what I'm telling you is true because I'm going to prove it in the Scripture in just a few minutes. So just stay with me and trust me that this is right. God is going to allow what happens over verses 9 and 10 to remind these brothers of what they'd done to their brother many years ago. So just think with me again. Look at verse 9. Pull 9 up for me if you would. The last time Joseph had met his brothers, do you remember the story? We're, we're, we're skipping back now several verses, many weeks. Jacob had sent Joseph, this young man. Remember, we learned that Joseph was kind of a tattletale. Remember, we talked about that. He went and told daddy all the things his brother had done wrong. So if you remember, the last time Joseph had seen his brothers, he was sent to find his brothers and to figure out what was going on in their lives. Remember? Now, here's the tattletale boy that nobody likes. Dad sends him out into the wilderness to find the brothers. He finally comes to the brothers, and what do they think about him? Here he comes. He's spying on us to tell dad what we're doing wrong, right? Look at what Joseph says to his brothers in verse 9. You're spies. You come to see where our land is unprotected. Now, I can just imagine Joseph in that moment when his brothers called him a spy years before would have argued, no, 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 guys, I'm not a spy. I'm telling you the truth. I've, I've come here because dad just wanted me to come and be with y'all. I'm here to help. I'm a good guy. I'm an honest guy, guys. I'm not going to go home and tell dad anything wrong. Look at verse 10, how the brothers now argued with Joseph in Genesis 42. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. We're not spies. What Joseph's brothers do to him when he had showed up the last time they saw him? They bound him. They threw him into the pit. You remember the story? Now look at verse 17. After Joseph had the conversation with the brothers, he put them all in custody for three days. See, Joseph is reminding these brothers through his action. The Lord is using him to remind these brothers of where they had been and what they had done. Now, some of you don't buy it. You're like, you're pushing that a little bit. I'm not sure I see that in the text. How can we say definitively that God uses these things and these actions and these parallels to remind the brothers of where they've been? Well, let's just see what the scripture says. Look at verse 18. So they've been in jail now three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. By the way, there's a, there's a whole sermon in verse 18. Joseph, who had ascended to the second most powerful man in the world, he had everything he needed. From an earthly standpoint, he no longer needed the Lord. And he still says, you know what? Even in the midst of all this, I still, still fear the Lord. Verse 19. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Now watch this. Here's 21. We're going to tie this into this parallel and how God is working in the hearts of the brothers. The brothers still don't know this is Joseph. Verse 21. And they said to each other, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. They're remembering 20 years ago. Guys, remember when we bound him, called him a spy, threw him in the pit, and he pleaded for his life? But we would not listen. 
That's why this distress has come on us. Verse 22, Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you would not listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. You see, they're reminded. God uses these moments and Joseph to remind them of where they should have walked and how they should have been faithful. Verse 23, now just remember, pull this back up. Let's remember now who Joseph could have been. What Joseph could have done to these men now based on his power and what they'd done to him in Genesis 42. Now remember that and read verse 23. They did not realize that Joseph understood them. Since he was using an interpreter, he turned away from them and began to weep. But then he came back and spoke to them again. I'm just thinking he's weeping. He's sad. He knows that they've done this now. They've admitted it to one another. They realize their sin. They realize they've done him wrong. How does he respond? Verse 25. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys, and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. He saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack, and their hearts sank And they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? Here's truth number three. Sometimes God works through difficult circumstances. Sometimes God works through other people. And then number three, sometimes God works through grace. You see, Joseph had every right to retaliate against his brothers for all the wrong they had done. In fact, I I would argue that because of all they had done to him, anything short of death for these men was grace. I mean, Joseph could have wiped them off the face of the earth and nobody would have thought anything else about it. But instead, God puts Joseph in this situation, in this moment, and he allows him to display grace to his brothers. Now, we're we're running out on time, but I need a few more minutes because I want you to see this. It's fascinating. Look at verse 19. I want you to notice in the next few verses the way in which Joseph displays grace. Look at verse 19. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. Not only am I not going to kill you, not only am I not going to punish you, not only am I not going to throw you in prison for the rest of your life, I'm going to let you go home and take grain back to your family. Verse 25. So Joseph gave orders to fill their bags of grain, right? This is grace demonstrated in the midst of this very difficult moment for Joseph, fill their bags with grain and to put each man's silver back in his sack. So I'm going to give you all the grain you need so you can go home and feed your family. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you all your money back so you don't actually have to pay for the grain and then give provisions for their journey. I'm going to give you grain. I'm going to give it to you for free. Then I'm going to give you additional provisions for your journey home. Now let's summarize And see if you can make this final connection. These brothers who deserved absolute punishment and death for their sins against Joseph were instead shown love and absolute grace. That's Christ. It's a picture of Jesus in our lives, isn't it? You want to understand Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? You're looking at him. See, we deserve, because of our sin against him, absolute punishment and death. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is what? Death. I'll speak for myself because I can't speak for you. Because of my sins, and I know my own heart, I know my mind, I know my thoughts, I know my actions, I know my attitudes, I know all of the things about me that you don't know. Just like you know everything about you that I don't know. And I understand because I know myself so well, because of my sin, I deserve punishment and death, period. But I also know that Christ in his infinite love offers us grace. So the question at this moment, at this hour, as we, as we wind this thing down, are we receiving that grace that Christ has given us? You know, if we're a believer, have we, have we received that grace and because God has shown us love and grace, are we in turn showing that grace and love and mercy to other people, even people that have wronged us? Are we allowing God to work through those difficult moments and those difficult people and to demonstrate grace and to build our faith and our walk in Him? Or maybe the person that's never even understood this grace. Do you understand that regardless of what you've done and where you've been, Christ says, I love you so much that I've given my life for you. The punishment that you deserve, Jesus says, I'll take it. So you don't have to. See, God's got this incredible plan for our lives. A plan that most of us will never fully understand this side of eternity. And God says, I really do want to use you. And I want you to walk down this path. And sometimes I need to get your attention. You know, I need to do some things in your life, some circumstances, some people. But at the, at the end of the day, it's really just all about this grace I'm going to offer you freely. You can't do anything to earn it. If you'll just trust me and accept me. I'll use you to do great things for my honor and for my glory. What are we doing with what Christ has given us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It's always so clear and so compelling and so understandable when we spend the time to look at it and understand it and read it. And Father, it speaks truth in our hearts. Lord, help us to, to remember and to understand. Sometimes when we kind of walk off path, we walk off course like the brothers did, that, Lord, you're going to wake us up. You're going to send people, Father. You're going to send situations. You're going to show us your grace. And so help us just always be aware of that. Father, help us to know and understand that if we have kind of stepped aside and stepped away from your path at some point, Father, that if we're walking right now in a, in a place where we don't need to be, Father, and we're just maybe not trusting you like we ought to trust. I pray, Father, you just get our attention. <laughs> In as gentle a, a, a manner as possible, Father, I pray you just get our attention and help us to see that there are bigger plans, bigger things in store if we'll just trust you with our lives and then demonstrate to us, Father, again, that grace that you pour out to us and accomplish great things through us. We love you and serve you in all things, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next few minutes. The altar is always open. Maybe you need to pray about the path you're walking. Maybe you're in a moment in a situation that God's getting your attention. Maybe God's placed that person in your life. Or maybe you're understanding God's grace a little bit more. But this is your time to respond to the truth of his word right now as we sing. You come.